The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. We always say it, we always mean it, and we think it's true. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I found a quote for the opening buzz from a gentleman named Dan Tyre, T-Y-R-E, writing a blog on HubSpot. And let's see, it was uh, just a couple of days ago. Let me read the quote. It'll give you an idea of what we're going to be discussing. The buzz. Motivation is an art, not a science. Okay. Now, our topic officially is target incentive and rebate programs driving digital transformation. You may not have put those thoughts all together, but that's what we're going to do today. Let me give you a little more intro here. If your company is regularly paying sales incentives to your customers and your partners, but nothing's happening on the bottom line, you're not getting anything in return, you may be sitting there saying, wait a minute, we're working awfully hard at this. We are juggling so many programs. We have high hopes. We designed these programs with production and with productivity and profits in mind, and it's not happening. You're in the real world. It is a challenge. There's so many types of incentives, employee and consumer, and there are points programs and sales programs and dealer programs, but we have a panel of three experts. Two of them are from our partner, Vistex, Inc., and we're going to talk about how organizations like yours, wherever you are, whatever your industry, whatever your footprint, your maturity, whatever you're doing, how you can learn to optimally manage complex partner programs for things like contracts, for pricing, rebates, incentives, our two magic words, and more. Wouldn't you love to hear how it's done the right way? Well, I certainly would. So, the experts speak. Let me tell you who our three panelists are, and then we will get started with their opening quotes. First up, I will be pleased in about a minute to introduce my first guest, Cara DeGraff. I met her at Sapphire Now in Orlando a few months ago. She's the Vice President of Product Management at Vistex, V-I-S-T-E-X, Inc., and she'll tell us in a little while what they do. Joining her on the panel is one of her colleagues at Vistex. He is Gary Adams, an industry principal. And rounding out the panel is John McDonald, Industry Value Advisor at SAP. They all are very expert in this field. So, Cara DeGraff has sent me a quote from Albert Einstein, one of our favorites, because it's words to live by. Anybody who doesn't know who Einstein was will think of E equals MC squared, the world's most famous mathematical formula. That was his German-born theoretical physicist, 1879 to 1955, and he had wild and crazy hair, and he was really smart. So let me read the quote. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Well, that sounds logical. Cara DeGraff, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us. Kara, I love the quote. Are these uh, is this, these words on a blackboard or on a plaque in your office somewhere? Sounds good to you me. Know, my, not, not specifically, but the theory behind them, everyone in my department knows and knows that I say all the time because I look at it as, as two different things. It's thinking outside the box and don't accept the answer. That's how we've always done something. Ah, so tell me, how to, what does that have to do with our topic? By the way, Kara, I have to tell you and Gary and John, I don't think in six years of radio and over a thousand shows, I don't think we've ever covered this topic. So the audience is probably thinking, well, Bonnie, it's about time. So we need to really give them some great information. So what does the Einstein quote have to do with the, the entanglement a lot of companies are going through with figuring out these programs? Kara? And I think it, it's, it, it really ties into that we've, we've always done it that way. When you think of the incentive programs that p- companies are running today, it's the same type of programs. It's I'm giving you a discount at the end of the year, or I'll just give you this one promotion, or I have all of these different things going on. And the world is changing around them, and, and you can't continue to do the same type of programs. The expectations are, th- are, are different. It, I'm not saying that you can't and sent your customers and you can't give them money away. But I'm saying that how you do that, they need to think a little bit differently now as, as the world and the, especially in the digital economy as everything's changing. Kara, tell me something. Since this is a brand new topic, I'm going to ask you to just give us a little bit of what I like to call level setting. What is an incentive program? What kinds of companies are using these? Uh, a little bit of history. Uh, you're at Vistex. Uh, rather than waiting for the What's in Your Cup Today segment, just tell us a little bit about what you do and why you're an expert in this. And, and if people are not using these programs, why should they? Just give us a little background, please, if you don't mind. Yeah, so Vistex is a software services company, we look at ourselves holistically. And so we help customers manage all of their different incentive programs. So we look at it, how, do you, how does a company go to market? So how do they position their products? How do they price? How do they promote? How do they sell? And we help manage all of their programs and put those in place and give them the flexibility to put any type of program that they want to um, in that they could think of. Um, I always like to say, if you can write it down on a piece of paper, you can put it in our software. And that's a, a good point is, you know, a lot of people want to do much more complex programs. And as we all know, all the marketing guys come up with all sorts of different programs that you have that they want to do. And the, your systems can't always handle them and can't always execute them. So you manage a lot of that on pa- paper. And Vistex helps put those into the system. So I've been with Vistex for over 10 years now, working in this space, and prior to Vistex, I was doing a lot of these programs at different companies and different industries, from manufacturing side, giving them out, and from the Mm -hmm. distributor side, receiving them and managing to it. Thank you very much, Kara. Very play, very pleased to have you on the show, and I did enjoy our time together at Sapphire. Now let me introduce your colleague, Gary Adams, an industry principal at Vistex. And Gary has sent us a wonderful quote from Sir Winston Leonard Spencer-Churchill. I didn't know he had so many names, Gary, and he's got letters after his name, K-G-O-M-C-H-T-D-P-C-C-D-L-F-R-S-N-R-A. He was a British statesman who lived actually until 1965 to me. That's not that long ago. The Prime Minister of the UK from 1940 to 45, and he didn't have enough, so he came back from 51 to 55. And here is the quote Gary has selected from Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. What a beautiful quote. Gary Adams, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? 
I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here. We are delighted to have you. Talk to me about the quote. We're talking about incentives and rebates and figuring out how to motivate people to buy something or do something. So what in the world does a Winston Churchill quote have to do with that? What what it resonates for me is the fact that this is a, a road road long journey that you're going to be on. And as Cara mentioned, you've got to be flexible, you've got to think out of the box. And regardless what you've tried in the past, whether it's worked or whether it's failed, you've constantly got to be looking for new and smarter and more efficient and more effective ways to use your incentive dollar or your promotion dollar or your discounts or rebates or whatever they might be because of the competitive environment you're in. No one's going to sit, can afford to sit and rest on their laurels, so to speak, uh, and assume mm-hmm. that no one else's behavior is going to change. So as, as good as things might be going or as poorly as they might be going, have, have the wherewithal to continue to try to change, uh, find alternative approaches uh, to solving the problem, so to speak, and ultimately mm-hmm. look to uh, grow your business, but grow it as profitably as possible. Very interesting. Gary, do you agree with my opening quote? I called it the buzz. I was quoting a gentleman named Dan Tyre who blogged about this a couple of weeks ago. Motivation is an art, not a science. Do you subscribe to that theory? Uh, not not completely, not 100%. Okay. Uh, I believe given the amount of data we have today and the access to more data, if you will, even through the digital platforms that are available, there there is a science component of understanding what past behavior has caused to make happen, so to speak. So it's a case of using the right analytics um, and then reading the tea leaves as best you can. It's a combination of both. Thank you very much. I like the tea leaves in there. Some people would say that's a science, Gary. <laughs> so uh, I, and some people say it's not quite an art. It might be somewhere in between. We'll find out what Kara thinks about that in a minute. But I want to introduce now our third panelist. He is John McDonald, Industry Value Advisor at SAP. And John has sent us a very interesting quote from Stephen Hawking, who also has a lot of letters after his name. Stephen William Hawking, C-H-C-B-E-F-R-S-F-R-S-A, born in 1942, still with us to Today, English theoretical physicist, cosmologist, author, and director of research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology at the University of Cambridge. Oh, my. Honorary Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. Interesting. Lifetime member of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences and recipient of the U.S.'s highest civilian award, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Okay. So here is the quote John has selected from, I think it's Dr. Hawking. Well, physics and Mathematics may tell us how the universe began. They're not much use in predicting human behavior. I'm no better than anyone else at understanding what makes people tick. And I want to say talk after that. John McDonald, pleasure to welcome you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. I've always wanted to do one of these, and I'm happy to finally have this chance. You're kidding. What do you mean you've always wanted to be on Game Changers Radio? When, now we've been on the air now for about six years, so you, you must have heard about us at some point in, in time. Seriously? Absolutely. I've had uh, many of my business peers have listened to the show and have had the chance of being uh, on the show, and I'm excited to have my very first chance to be on this side of the microphone. 
Well, we have a fan here. Thank you, John. We're delighted to have you. So talk to me. This is an interesting quote. You and I both know if somebody looks it up, we'll find there are some other not quite PC things in the quote. But we're just going to go with the fact that physics, mathematics, universe, all that good stuff. And Hawking is saying he doesn't even understand what makes people tick. So we're talking about motivation today, talking about incentives and rebates. John, talk to me. What would Stephen Hawking, if he were here, maybe he will be a guest someday, what would he say about this topic? Yeah, you know, uh, if you haven't seen the movie uh, about Stephen Hawkins and, and followed him, it's, it's very interesting. All that stuff you talked about him in, as you introduced him is very true, how smart the physics and the mathematics and all those degrees he has. But he probably is equally as known as a philosopher. And this quote sort of you know, brings that out, that while he's as smart as he is, he has thought a lot about and has made a lot of inputs into um, the philosophy side of things as well, but still struggles with what may, makes people tick. And that's all what these incentive programs that we're talking mm-hmm. about today are about, is how do we move people's behavior one way or the other? And it's difficult. Just like your quote started in the beginning with, is it an art or is it a science? And there definitely is uh, some science behind it, um, but there is sort of a method or an art that I think is important to this and a lot of that starts, uh, you know, starts that everybody's going to do something different if they don't really understand the program that you're talking about. You'll get all these unintended consequences by just putting something in place. You'll never know what a company or person is going to do with that type of uh, behavior you're trying to drive. And I always think that communication, upfront communication, is the very much the key. So they really get, they don't assume what you're trying to accomplish, that they always hear and learn what you're trying to accomplish with that communication. Very interesting. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure to have you on, and uh, congratulations. All you had to do is ask, hey, Bonnie, I want to be on the show. It's fine. (laughs) We would have found a topic for you, and you're here now with Kara and Gary. Now let me circle back to Kara DeGraff. Kara, I didn't ask you the question about my opening uh, quote from Dan Tyre, motivation is an art, not a science. You want to chat about that for a second, and then we'll do the what's in your cup today, Kara? Yeah, you know, at face value, I agree with that statement, that there's definitely an art to making sure that you can get your point across and you can get the desired results. But I disagree, and, you know, similar to what John was saying, is that there definitely is some science to it. it you're, not, you're trying to get behavior, but you're also trying to sell product. And while an advertisement could either help or hurt a product, I think some of the rebates and incentive programs have a little bit more science to them where you can actually use it to get behavior and and do different types of programs to drive certain behavior and drive certain sales. And then interesting, uh, Kara, I remember when I uh, first got a Fitbit, which is now in a closet somewhere, safely, you know, safely in a closet somewhere, uh, I, w- I was made aware that there are certain banks, I think in Russia, or insurance companies that will offer special, uh, they'll contribute to a, a savings plan or pay your insurance premium or something like that if you allow them to get your Fitbit data and prove that you are exercising on a real basis, regular basis, to prove that you're healthy and not a risk. Is that an incentive program, Kara? Yeah, most definitely. You know, and, and that's what we're seeing is a lot more incentive programs that are based on actions as opposed to just doing behavior. You know, it, it's doing behavior that you would normally be doing and getting incentives, but really what's happening is with those banks and with those insurance companies is they're getting that data from you. 
So mm-hmm. they're going to be able to use that data to then figure out how better to promote other things or to decrease their their claims because you're walking and you're fit. So the more you walk, the healthier you're going to be and the less that they're going to have to pay out on claims. So most for death, for sure, that's an incentive. Thank you. Very interesting. Didn't work for me because I don't use that bank. But anyway, we know, I'll tell you exactly what shelf on the closet the Fitbit is. Okay, Kara. Now, this is the part of the program where we get a little personal, not too much. We'd love to know where you're calling from, number one. And number two, what do you love to drink? If it's not in your cup today, Kara DeGraff, tell me, what would you rather be drinking that will make you smile? So what's your favorite beverage? Go ahead. Sure. Um, so what I what I had for breakfast this morning and what I love to start the day with is I call it a banana milkshake. Um, it's a name that I created for my daughter to convince her to try and eat a little bit healthier. So I you know it made her feel like she was eating ice cream for breakfast. But it's frozen bananas, milk, some cinnamon, some nutmeg, and some vanilla, and it tastes just like a milkshake. But she's getting her protein, she's getting her fruit, she's getting all that information, all of the that yummy stuff. So. Um, that is that definitely makes me smile. I feel like I'm cheating on my diet all the time with that. <laughs> I like that. By the way, I think you stole that from me because I've been making that every day for probably five days a week for probably the past five years. And I put in either uh, 1% or skim milk, sometimes an ice cube, sometimes a little cocoa, little agave syrup, half or a full banana, depending on the size of the banana. And if I'm, if I'm feeling very adventuresome, Kara, and I have a little leftover decaf coffee from my Nespresso, so from the day before, I will pour a little bit of the coffee into it and make a kind of a mocha banana shake. And it is, wow, great way to start the day. Now, you didn't tell me where you're calling from, Kara, so oh, we want to know what part of the country. Calling, I am calling from a suburb of Chicago. It's called Hoffman Estates. It's just west of the airport, and that's where Vistex is located. Okay, thank you very much. Nice to get to know you. Gary Adams, you're up, and I have to tell everybody I have my panelists send me pictures so I can look at their photos while we're speaking on the air. And Gary sent me a picture of him in a tuxedo with a wonderful bow tie. So I asked him before the show if he was wearing the tux, and he said, long gone. So, Gary, where are you today, and what drink makes you smile the most? Gary Adams. Thank you. I am sitting in the office next to Cara here in Hoffman Estates as well in our offices. Um, and, uh, you know, had to think through this a little bit because it's not a typical question you get asked. Um, mm-hmm. But I guess my favorite recollection of a beverage is my grandmother's peppermint tea. Um, she and my grandfather came over from Scotland and England back when they were in their early or late teens, early 20s, married, and they ran a boarding house in Detroit. And she, you know, served the boarders there, if you will, tea in the, mm-hmm. in the afternoons and evenings. And as children, we got very comfortable with her peppermint tea uh, and didn't really think tea could taste that good. And it was many, many years later, after, unfortunately, both my grandparents had passed, that I had brought it up with my mother. And she said, well, Grandma Sissy had a secret. And it's like, well, okay, what's the secret? She says, well, she used to put a little bit of peppermint schnapps in her tea because it gave it that flavor she wanted versus a typical peppermint kind of flavor. And I thought... That explains a lot, then, <laughs> as, to, as to my proclivity for peppermint tea these days. But uh, that always uh, that story and that drink touches a warm spot in my heart for my grandma. 
I love it. Now I know what I have to do with my peppermint tea if I serve it to guests in the evening. And say, this is going to be unlike anything, and it's from Gary Adams' grandmother, Sissy's homegrown recipe. Oh, I love that, and I do like peppermint tea. So far, we're, we're batting a 1,000 here. I like banana milkshakes, Kara, and Gary, I'm a, one of my favorites is, is peppermint tea, so thank you very much. John McDonald, no pressure on you, but what, what's your favorite drink, and where are you calling from, John? I am calling from Downers Grove, Illinois, outside of Chicago, in the uh, SAP office. And I'm going to sound like a pretty simple and boring guy compared to all those uh, all those drinks and recipes. I'm hoping after the show you're going to tweet out those recipes um, to, <laughs> to the audience. I can pick up on some of these. I'm a simple, pretty simple person. Every morning I get a black coffee from McDonald's. Simple black coffee from McDonald's. The drive-thru guy knows me at this point. Um, and I have entered a program of sorts or incentives of sorts. Most ex- probably the most exciting part is I have recently downloaded the McDonald's app and have it on my mobile phone. Most of you are probably not the, as interested as I am in the McDonald's app, but after I have five coffees, I, if I have that behavior all week long, I get a free coffee. My sixth one is free. Today, actually, I got a free coffee because um, I had just uh, hit five yesterday. Wow. So it's a very simple black coffee every day. Um, I love it simple and fast, and that's why I do the McDonald's drive through with my McDonald's app on my phone now. And would you consider that app an, an incentive program for you, John McDonald? That's our yes, topic. exactly. Now it is. I, I don't want to miss it, and I get excited today. Was very. Uh, I was happy to see. I thought I had one more to go, but I had hit it yesterday. I had a free wow. coffee. John McDonald hit the jackpot today with free coffee, and now I have to tell the three of you my secret. They do not allow me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and you know why already. So all I'm allowed to drink is pure clear, cool water. I have a clear mug with a beautiful pink straw. The water has gone through my trusty Brita filter, and uh, the pink straw is because I'm here. Just moved to North Carolina after 34 years on Long Island, New York, and my new office in my home is looking out on a beautiful garden in front of my house and a quiet street, and I can see the crepe myrtles outside, and it's a gorgeous sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. So the pink straw is in honor of the beautiful sunshine. Rumor has it. We're going to get almost up to 90 here today. Woohoo! Uh, so, anyway, shout out to everybody who's been rocked by hurricanes and earthquakes in the past few days and few weeks. We are sending prayers and hopes for the best. That's all I can say. So, you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. My very special guests today are Cara DeGraff and Gary Adams from Vistex and John McDonald at SAP. Our topic is one we've never, ever, ever done before. Incentive and rebate programs driving digital transformation. When we come back from our very quick break, we will find out what in the world these programs have to do with digital transformation from Kara, Gary, and John. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, indeed, Coffee Break with Game Changers. Special guest, Cara DeGraff, Gary Adams. It's Gary L., I found out, from Vistex and John McDonald at SAP. John has wanted to be on the show for a long time, and he's here. So, we're talking about target incentive and rebate programs, driving digital transformation, and we're going to make that link to the two topics very, very clear now. Cara DeGraff has agreed to start the roundtable, and here's what Cara told me in her notes before the show, and I I quote, in our increasingly digitally driven business world, keeping sales and customers aware of their targets and incentives is key. Carol, we've got a lot of good buzzwords in that quote from you. So why don't you tell us what this all means, please? Yeah. So if you, you know, and, and John's example is exactly perfect. You know, if you think about how you go as a consumer in business today, it's, you know, everything is app driven. You, you know, him having to go to the drive-thru with the app. You, know, you can even order ahead of time so you don't even have to talk to people anymore. You see that in your consumer space. You even see it when you go into a store, you look online, you've researched everything. By the time you go to buy it, you already know what you're buying and why you're buying it and exactly what the right prices are to ne- negotiate it. And you see that consumer space, but you also are starting to see that in the business space now. As companies are buying their supplies... of them have already researched the solution. They know all of the competitor prices and all of the information so that when they go to actually purchase it, they are more educated than ever. And that's all due to having all of that information at our fingertips and all of those details. Now, as a company, how do you take advantage of that? How do you incent people to buy from your store or your company Mm -hmm. as opposed to somewhere else? And that's exactly... You know, the, the McDonald's app is it. You know, five coffees, I get the sixth one free. All of these different incentives that you can give to people aren't always monetary in nature. It's not just, a, oh, I have to remember and how much I'm buying and that if I hit in the next tier, I'm going to get an extra 2%. You know, if I buy a million dollars, I get 2%. If I buy $2 million, I get 
Um, those are great, but having that visibility to that information to know where you're hitting and what you're doing is what really sets your incentive program out. So John was saying, you know, I didn't even know that I was going to get the free one today. What a surprise. But can mm-hmm. you imagine if he knew that he got an email and saying, hey, tomorrow you get a free one or one more till you get a free one, he's going to go and buy that. You know, it's the same thing at Starbucks. Sure. You know, I get the email saying, if you go today, you get double points and you're only one away. Um, you need to do that in a corporate space as well. So you need to be able to go as people are going online on, the, on your sales portals and your e-commerce platforms to be able to pop up and say, hey, you're only $100,000 away from your next tier, and if you buy $100,000 more, you're going to get a $30,000 rebate. So it's as if you're only spending $70,000 for this next item. And so now that's $70,000 in sales that the company's going to get that they never expected before. And you, have, you the incentives can be monetary as well as product or mm-hmm. um, trips and gifts. I mean, obviously, you have to be careful with some of those with a lot yeah. of the Sorbanes-Oxley rules, but you, you can do any type of incentive, you know, and you, with your Fitbit as well. If you give me your sales data and if you give me your information so I can get right. that competitive information, I'm going to give you an extra rebate. You're going to pay people for actions, not just for purchases. There's the trade-off. A quick question for you, Kara, before I invite Gary and John to chime in. Very interesting approach here. Uh, question is, in terms of understanding the psychology, we talked about art versus science, a little bit of each. Okay, human nature, human behavior, human motivation. Yes, all. We understand it all. Do you need a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a social worker on your staff to know which incentives are going to work for that particular population, whether it's your salespeople for their targets or your customers for how much they're going to buy or how often they're going to buy from you? Is there is it a data scientist who would help you figure this out, or are there pools of of, let's say, uh, psychological intelligentsia around the world where you can tap and say, okay, Mr. Mr. Incentive Psychologist, uh, what does my business need in the next six months for incentive? So so who is the source of all of this brilliance that's going to make it work? Kara, just briefly. I I think that right now we're at the point where it's data scientists can do a lot of that now. Mm. You have that predictive behavior. You have all of that, those pools and pools of data to be able to capture and simulate and model and use all of the different predictive analysis and be able to say, if we do this, how is this behavior, you know, what is the result that I'm going to be getting from there? I think previously you had to have a little bit more of that psychology to be able to know that. I think nowadays it's a lot more number crunching. Thank you very much. I wanted that exact reality check. Wasn't sure where you were going to go, but that's what I was looking for. Gary L. Adams at Vistex. Love to get your thoughts on any or all of the above we discussed with Kara. Go ahead. Um, Very well aligned with that. Uh, A couple things that I would consider in addition to is is when incentives, the type of incentive Kara was talking about, achieving a goal to get 1%, 2%, 3%, that typically is a longer-term incentive. I think what needs to also happen is there are a series of short-term incentives you can put in play that potentially can help the customer then sell the 50000 additional dollars they need to buy to reach that threshold. You know, we don't want to just put them in a position of doing a pantry load and it doesn't increase volume over the long haul. We're, we're truly looking to help 
through these incentives, the customer grow his category, uh, bring more people to his business, and buy more product. Uh, and, and it's a variety of incentives, durations, and types that help us do that. I'm total agreement with what Cara had to say on the data analyst side of things. Uh, I think the biggest challenge we face today is that where I've got good history, I can do good predictive modeling and good predictive outcome kind of analytics. It's when I want to do something I've never done before, then how do I forecast or predict or estimate that? And that's where, you know, some of the understanding around what types of consumers do I typically sell to, how do they segment, what is their, their group behavior, so to speak, so that I can tier programs and try things. Uh, back to my opening quote, you know, I want to test some ideas and then read the data to see if my forecasts are accurate, and then I'll expand those things on a larger level because I've got a little bit of the data analytic to support spending more money, being more aggressive, et cetera. Thank you very much, Gary. Very insightful. John McDonald, I know you have a lot to say. What do you think? Well, I, I um, really buy into Kara's uh, knowledge about how uh, her statements about how transparent everything is becoming today uh, to the consumer. We have so many industries, um, from the car industries to the financial industries, who have sort of got these built-in maybe bad habits over the time where every car is discounted. There's always a rebate. Uh, you're mm-hmm. buying a car for 20000 but it's $5,000 off. And it gets sort of confusing to the uh, consumer. And they've learned to do their research uh, and sometimes back away from some of those situations. Um, and these companies become sort of these habits get ingrained in these industries and these companies. I think um, I subscribe to more of that Southwest Airlines where everything's transparent. It's one fee. Um, the customer has, uh, feels more comfortable with that, uh, that type of program where they can see everything above the water. And um, that uh, they still have a very strong loyalty program at Southwest Airlines and do a lot of incentives, but you feel like you know what's going on and you're not uh, in that place where you have to um, be defensive about how you're buying those things. So I think that transparency is becoming more and more and more clear in every type of transaction we do as a consumer in the business world, and we have to be more careful about keeping those things simple um, so customers can feel um, that they have all their information and not feel confused about whether they should do business with you. That's sort of my approach. I appreciate that. And, and Kara, I'm going to give you a chance to wrap this up, but I want to ask you a question. Are we talking here a mix of B2B and B2C, Kara? Are we, Kara and Gary and John, are, are we, we lumping them all together? Or are we focusing on, on B2B or is this all uh, retail, if you will, facing? Kara, so what, what's your I, perspective? I, I think that it started in retail. Mm-hmm. Um, just as, you know, your phone and the user experience on a phone started, you know, just as an individual. But people are expecting all of that in their day-to-day life, in all aspects of it, not just in their consumer experiences, but in their business experiences as well. So they're expecting to have, you know, that digital platform and an app and just click here and get the information in, in the B2B space. But also I think you're starting to see that in the incentives as well. Um, you're seeing a lot more loyalty programs, for your customers, you're seeing a lot more incentives. You're seeing a lot more discounts. Um, with John's comment, you know, where they have bad habits, I, I agree that, you know, people have been doing things just because they've always done them and they don't know why they're doing them. But 
I, I disagree. You know, you have companies that say, here's my flat price and there's no negotiation and there are no discounts. Mm-hmm. People don't feel like they're getting a, a deal or a, um, they think that there's something left. They don't always trust that. And there are some companies that have tried to do that where they say one fixed price Southwest may be working, but you have a lot of other companies where they've done that. You have car manufacturers, you have retailers that have done that and, and it has not succeeded because customers are so used to, consumers and businesses are so used to getting that rebate and getting something for doing something as well. Thank yeah, you I very agree, much, I agree Kara. With those, I yeah. really much agree with those yeah. comments as well, Kara. I think that I very much deal in the business, the B2B world, you know, businesses buying from businesses. And that word incentive or program, I, you know, I like to try to transform that into partnership. These programs, you're trying to build some type of partnership between you and your customer or your distributor, your partner. And you want uh, these programs really to develop that partnership. If you buy more from me, if, I, if you help me, I'll help you. It becomes a partner in getting to that end consumer. And those partnership programs, at the end of the day, is how you want to think about it. It's how do we both succeed forward? I'm willing to um, give you a better price and give you better programs and give you better um, support um, in, you know, if we're in this together, if it's a partnership. If, you're, if we're not helping each other out, um, you're not going to reach those levels. So I think that word partnership is way, really a way to think about it when they go into these programs. And then your habits will probably be better as you enter in these with your business partners. Thank yeah, you, John. I, I agree with yeah, that. Go ahead, Kara. I was, mm-hmm. I was working with a customer, and they said that, you know, it, you, you have these bad habits of this customer expects a 10% rebate at the end of the year on everything that they buy, but we get nothing as a company from that. And so what they want to do is they said, we want to give the customer 10%. We may even want to give them more, but we mm-hmm. want to make sure that we get behaviors and we get information from them in partnership in order to give them that money. So it's not just a guarantee you get it. You ha- they actually have to do something in order to get that money. And if they do that and if they do more, then they can even get more, more of an incentive at the end of the year. Th- thank you, Kara and John. And you g- set the stage perfectly for me to move on to a new topic from Gary Adams' list here. And, Gary, I'm going to read. Uh, this was your third statement. I think it's a perfect segue from where the conversation just left off a second ago. You say, given the existing hurdles to sharing sensitive information, so we've, we've introduced the concept of information and sensitive. We haven't talked about this yet. The stage is set for outsourcing the planning and negotiating of the incentives and discounts that drive value for each partner. There's a lot of meat on the bones in this statement, Gary, so why don't you pull it apart for us, please. Well, and where that comes from is, is work I've done in the past and people I've talked to in the past on both sides of this equation that their key capabilities and their key focus isn't, hasn't historically been around this sophisticated, complex analytics uh, approach to the business, and we've tried category management groups, we've tried business analysts, we've tried a variety of things, but what always seems to be lacking is each side, each partner is approaching the problem from their perspective, and there's, to a degree, a lack of trust with certain aspects of what each holds near and dear to their heart for success in sharing that with the with the other player because the other player you know could be a competitor or could have access to competitors information 
Um, so, you know, Coke doesn't necessarily want to give up its information, all of its information to Kroger and Pepsi do the same thing because there might be risk that we'll see each other's, you know, under the, mm-hmm. under the covers data, which is not what I want. Um, so I've talked with clients who've said, but if I can find, call it a hub, a digital platform, somewhere where <laughs> I can be very restrictive on the sensitive data I want to throw into the mix, coupled with what my partner will bring in, run the numbers for us. Don't make the decisions for us, but run the numbers for us. We'll give you some parameters. We'll give you some guidelines. We'll give you some rules. But I really, it's really taking that science part of this to almost a service offering such that I can then focus on understanding what my consumer's response will be in certain situations. Um, because ultimately, as a partner, I've got to help whoever I'm selling my product to sell that product to the end consumer. Otherwise, I'm just building inventory, which isn't favoring anybody over the long haul. It's just moving money around. So it's, it's that concept of then let's, you know, there are people doing this today that have that expertise that not only if you give them all the right data can they manage it, but they can use the appropriate algorithms, um, connect the right data sets. Uh, One of the big challenges I think a lot of companies have is I've got internal shipments data, I've got external consumption data, I've got Mm -hmm. pricing data, I've got panel data, I've got syndicated data, and I want to read all of those signals relative to the impact on this incentive or rebate. And I'm, my job is to make sure I get the message out to the market and execute well. I'm going to let someone else do this analytic. So I, I think the opportunity is bubbling up that that's a space that people are looking to go to. Uh, it's just, you know, how do I get that started, which is you know, the biggest question. And so you pick a product or you pick a region or a channel or a division and you pick a couple of partners and you test it and you see if it can work. Thank you, Gary. Very interesting. John, McDonald, love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think? Well, I, I um, you know, so many of these industries uh, have where there's there's really a blurring of the lines and, and Gary touches on this um, somewhat, this sort of uh, carefulness in this dance between partners on who owns information, for example, and in many cases, who who really has that customer relationship. Um, is it the, you know, is it the grocery store who owns that customer relationship, or is it the manufacturer, a Coke or a Pepsi, and and that becomes a careful dance as well in this in this digital uh, age that's going on where. Um, the lines can be blurred so easily. I think I do think that people need to really focus on their execution um, against uh, against these things and really what they're doing best and who they're partnering with um, to make sure that they're successful in this because uh, it's it becomes a it's becoming a, a little bit uh, more unclear on um, who the customer and how they can get to these various products and and programs. Um, and so the be- those who are best at executing are going to really be the ones who are successful at it. Thank you very much. Kara, your turn. What do you think? A lot of good good uh, information being shared here. What's your position? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought of, you know, partners having a clearinghouse to store their information, the sales idea of companies like IRI and Nielsen, 
that capture that information. But I've never looked at it as a perspective of having a third party actually come up with the promotions and what incentives you should run. It's a, it's an interesting concept to me. You know, it, you a lot of companies will look at their promotions and their incentives as their competitive advantage, and that's what's going to make the difference between them making money and not making money. But realistically, I don't think that the companies even know if those are going to be effective or not. Or um, There's some statistics that only 75% of promotions that people run are actually going to get the desired results that they want. And the problem with that is you don't know which of the ones are the, were the ones that were effective and which ones weren't. And being able to outsource that and have somebody who that, who's that's their expertise and that's all that they do really will be a strong advantage to a company. Thank you very much, Kara. Gary, this was your topic. You want to chime in? Anything you want to say about what John and Kara just added? Very interesting. Yeah, I, I really like both sets of comments. Uh, I think to John's point, it, it sort of supported what I was talking about from a standpoint of, yeah, I want to be a better executor. Uh, and if I can get better insights from someplace else, then let's look at that. Is, is that really the right way to go? to the point where I've got better data to build those insights from. Uh, and to Kara's point as well, it's, it really is how, how do these incentives then internally, well, on both sides of the equation, how does that information affect the rest of my operation? You know, if I'm trying to create long-term volume impact and growth or short-term, there are a lot of other people within my enterprise who need to understand what are the impacts of those incentives so I can go back upstream and downstream relative to the appropriate messaging outbound or all the way back up to procurement inbound. So if if 75% of these funds aren't working or aren't working as expected, there's a ripple effect on that to not only did I not use the funding appropriately um, and to a point I might be getting even more pressure against that because of all the digital data and platforms available to, to source me for dollars. But, you know, how do, I, how do I fix that problem? How do I become more efficient end-to-end because I'm spending typically in consumer products, you know, 20 to 22, 23% of revenue is spent on these programs. Mm-hmm. And to then say 75% of that isn't quite working, well, then maybe I don't have the right insights. Maybe I don't have the ability to forecast appropriately. And, and maybe there are others better suited out there who can do that for me. And then oh. let me execute. Let me execute with excellence and change that 75% down, down to 50, down to 40, down to 30, because it's a big chunk of money that's involved in this space. Thank you very much, Gary. John McDonald, we have time for one more topic. We're going to squeak it in just before we go to our crystal ball predictions round. And I'm looking at your notes here, too, very appealing to me, but I'll pick the, the first one I see here. You say go-to-market programs are ultimately about partnership. I think, and this is John McDonald I'm quoting, I think less is more. John, talk to me. Interesting. Well, I think we've talked about that um you know, uh, sort of throughout the program, that um, there's there's a lot of complexity in um, many many programs that uh, I, for the cu- customers I typically deal deal with distributors who have maybe hundreds and maybe even thousands of manufacturers and customers that they're wrestling with, 
it can sort of overwhelm them, the amount of programs that manufacturers um, are interested in working with them. It becomes very, very difficult. And for those manufacturers um, who are dealing with a distributor, um, how do they make a difference between one of a thousand suppliers for this manufacturer? How do you make a difference? And I think you really have to focus on some of these as, um, look at these as partnerships and who are my go-to partners um, that are going to drive, that I can really focus my team on and focus my um, practices on and have all my services generated on um, to make a difference in how I'm executing and not just be doing um, a thousand different programs, but doing maybe um, 10 of them very, very well. It doesn't mean you don't have volume incentives in place with other manufacturers um, and some of these other programs, but what are my top 10 programs that um, my distributors I'm going to work with and my manufacturers I'm going to work with and really focus my efforts on it? I think I can get my team rallied around those kind of things. Thank you, John. Uh, Kara, we have time for you to make a quick comment on this as well as then Gary. So, Kara, what do you think? I I think that that I agree that manufacturers need to have a number of programs because each distributor may need a different incentive and a different behavior. So being able to have the manufacturer have this catalog of different incentive programs and being able to look at their their distributors and their customers and be able to pick and choose which ones they want to use and which ones make sense for that industry and for that process is going to be what um, what really sets a company apart. Thank you, Gary Adams. What do you think? Um, I think it's it's right on target. Um, what it's what it's led to have happen typically is a lot of the call it planning of these um, activities or programs has to happen then well in advance for the distributor to even incorporate those plans into his merchandising plan. And that kind of advanced lead time, while good for getting the plan in place. It's very difficult to then modify or adjust on the fly as actuals start to come in and make changes and make adjustments. So fewer moving parts clearly would make this easier. But I think it all then just resides back to a lot of what we've talked about today is that in a world where better data analytics and better insights can help you begin to optimize, I think to John's point, optimize how you're going to use that money, the issue is I'm getting more and more data every day. <laughs> it's with, with a digital platform in play, you know, the digital transformation for this space in these industries is constantly changing because the data set is constantly growing. Um, and so it's that ability to, number one, capture that data and harmonize it so I can then align it to make the right decisions becomes key, and and clearly executing with excellence at the end of the day is what determines the true success of any of these programs. Thank you, Gary. Kara, I'm circling back to you, and we want to dive quickly into our crystal ball predictions round, or we can say leap, not dive. It's not a pool we're going off into the future. So Kara DeGraff at Vistex, I can give you a whole 60 seconds for your prediction. I'm still keen on 2020, have been all year, because it's only three New Year's Eves away. So Kara DeGraff, what will change if we met again at some time between now and 2020? You tell me when that would be. What will change dramatically about this conversation we're having about incentive and rebate programs in this age of digitally driven business? Kara, 60 seconds, 
they're all yours. I, I think there are two um, predictions that I have. One of them is, you know, has to do with uh, machine learning and the predictive analytics where more and more information, as Gary was saying, you're going to have more and more information, so you're going to be able to crunch those numbers and get that data and figure out exactly what worked, use those programs more and more. And I think the other big transformation that we're going to have in this area is not that people are going to buy things for a certain price, but they're going to buy more of a fee-for-service, so mm-hmm. or more of a results-oriented um, item. We have a customer that sells cleaning supplies, and they work with hotels, and they don't charge, or they may charge for the laundry detergent and for the bleach and the fabric softeners, but what they do at the end of every month or the end of every quarter is they go through and say, okay, how many loads of laundry did you do? What was your hotel occupancy? How many beds did you have? I will make sure that no matter what you're paying up front, that you're really only paying 50 cents a load of laundry, and I will Mm -hmm. give you a rebate at the end of the year to make sure that you're whole with that. Okay, thank and we're going to see much. more and more of those type of programs. Very interesting. Okay, uh, and probably with a smile. And now let's go to Gary L. Adams, also at Vistex. Gary, I saved a whole 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. Uh, I have one. I definitely agree with Kara's, uh where she was headed with those. I, I think the thing that I'm expecting to happen is even in this B2B world, I think because of the massive information and consumers becoming as digitized as they have, that they're going to be what's truly driving the partnership and relationship and buying behaviors between the manufacturers and the distributors, the manufacturers and the dealers, you know, whoever those partners are, the understanding of the consumer is going to become key. And what I expect to see consumers being able to do is, is in essence, here's what I want to buy and here's what I'm willing to pay for it. Who's going to meet my need? And I will be loyal to the brands that fairly consistently meet my requirements because I do have choices. And with this digital platform, I don't have to go to the store anymore. I can have the product shipped to me, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm seeing this changing from, call it a, a seller's market to a buyer's market, sort of in line a little bit with what Cara was talking about. Thank you very much. John McDonald, I saved a whole 60 seconds for you. They're all yours. Let's hear your predictions, please. Oh, Karen and Gary always have these sophisticated answers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like the simple guy again, the black, the simple black coffee guy. Um, mine is, is sort of like a hope, and I, I do trust in the, in the next five years we're gonna see that this process becomes a lot more automated, and so people can focus on like the strategic nature and the partnership nature of this. So many of these programs, there's so many that that I deal with it with distributors is so complex, and there's thousands of these programs that it tends to uh, really run over the company, overwhelm them, and they have one person or a spreadsheet or a calculator trying to figure these all out. But how do we really automate this process, use the systems that are available out there so we aren't saying, I wonder how I did last month or how I did last year on this program, but we know um, that information on a regular basis and then can start really moving these partnerships forward. So my hope is that we get away from that sort of dark um, black box of how we calculate and where we stand and get this a little bit more systematized in the future. 
Thank you very much. I like that hope. That's a very special kind of prediction, John. That's I predict if the world has some sanity, we will simplify, make these less complex, and use automation in the process, and we will be able to smile more about them. I like that a lot. I want to say thank you to my three very special guests. Really, really timely topic because everybody's doing it, and it helps to understand a Cara DeGraff and Gary L. Adams at Vistex. Pleasure having you both on the panel today. And John McDonald, I hope we made your wish come true. Speaking of wishes and hopes, getting you on the panel on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Uh, special Made news tomorrow. Day. I'm glad. Made mine too. Tomorrow, 10 a.m., very excited. We are launching a brand new Game Changers radio series called Changing the Game in Life Sciences. Yes, human genomes and wearables and IoT, Internet of Things, sensors everywhere, and how will medicine improve and help us live happier, healthier lives so we can all be enjoying more of our time here, etc., etc., etc. Joe Miles and Michelle Schuff at SAP are helping me put this together. We have a very exciting debut of a series. We're going to do four episodes this fall, and then they're coming back for a full year in 2018. Very excited, long overdue. So I want to say to my panelists, thank you very much, Cara, Gary, and John. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Cara DeGraff, just like Gary L. Adams, and just like John. McDonald. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.